Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash ProductiveConvo. That's two free weeks at onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Again, onepasswordcom slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepasswordcom slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter uplift desk a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work and that's just the beginning of what uplift desk has to offer with an emphasis on ergonomics and customization uplift desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals whether you're coding designing or podcasting like i am right now the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's up 
liftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. Hi, my name is Zach Arnold and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy. Welcome to another episode of A Productive Conversation. Maybe this is your first episode, and if it is, this is a great one to start with because I have a chat with somebody who I think I'm a kindred spirit with, Zach Arnold. Zach is an award-winning Hollywood film and television editor. His most recent credit is editing and associate producing Cobra Kai for Netflix, which is a show that my entire family, eh, save for my daughter, loves. He's also a documentary director, a two-time American ninja warrior, and a father of two who is now the founder and CEO of Optimize Yourself. Now at Optimize Yourself, he helps ambitious creative professionals pursue more fulfilling careers without sacrificing their health, their relationships, or their sanity in the process. And his work as a podcaster, documentary director, and writer has been featured in Forbes, The Huffington Post, NPR, Variety, The Telegraph, and numerous podcasts about entrepreneurship and productivity. This conversation, just like the one I had on his program, which we will link to in the show notes, uh, was fantastic. And I don't want to wait any longer to deliver it to you. So here we go. Here's a productive conversation, my productive conversation with Zach Arnold. Zach, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Uh, we're recording this well in advance. Uh, one could say that we have optimized our podcast process, which you know a thing or two about. For those that aren't terribly familiar with you, um, there's two stories to tell, maybe even more. Um, oh, there's a multitude. There's let's a multitude. Start with two, though. But we're going to go with two. So first off, let's talk about the optimization portion of yourself. And especially, like, we had a conversation not too long ago uh, for your podcast. And we're going to talk a little bit about, as we record this, the most recent episode, because it feels like it was a bit of a holy grail episode for you. But what what is the work that you do revolving around optimization? And when someone is thinking about optimizing what is the cautionary tale that you make sure that you kind of say to them or, or give them um, before they dive into a world that is literally about, you know, optimization? Yeah, this is a really, really good first question. I'm so glad you asked this uh, to start the conversation and frame it. Um, had I known the way that a lot of people frame and define the word optimize when I first started this, I might have rethought it, especially with the way that we've evolved nowadays to optimization equals everything being perfect and biohacking and life hacking and all these other things. And what are the the cheat sheets and the, the, the short codes to be able to get where I want to get faster? That's not the way that I do things. I believe that Self-optimization is a lifelong journey towards progression, not a journey towards perfection. Mm -hmm. So for anybody that's thinking, oh, I'm going to be optimized in whatever area of life and fitness and sleep and data tracking and productivity and time management, this isn't about how do I reach a level of perfection? It's about the constant pursuit of progression. So that's the first cautionary tale is that I am not the life hack guy. I'm not the productivity hack guy. Working with me requires hard work and it requires intention and it requires focus. And it's a game of chess and not a game of checkers. So that's always how I like to frame it is that it's not about, uh, perfection. It's about progression. So one of the things that I really appreciated about our conversation before for your podcast was this idea that we do have like this kindred spiritedness when it comes to the kind of stuff we talk about. Uh, I like 
and this took me a while. And it's not, it didn't take me a while because it wasn't, you know, the ultimate, you know, destination or, or a path along the journey, but to frame words like optimization, prioritization, time management, productivity, those high ranking words or mutually understood words, or at least, you know, optically understood words, um, are gateways to ultimately the work that you do and the work that I do in very different ways. You talk about this idea of doing versus being, and I've said before, stop doing productive, start being productive. And people ask what I mean by doing productive. So I want to kind of lean in your direction, say like the doing versus being kind of, um, challenge. What, what led you to realize that that is the challenge that you needed to face and how you're able to help people with that challenge today? I'm, I'm really glad you framed it as me realizing that it's the challenge I had to face because I think one of the misnomers with so many people online that are the quote unquote experts, well, they have all the answers and they're in front of their podium and their ivory tower and they know better than I. Whereas once you really get into this, you realize that the people that are coaches, that are teachers, that are quote unquote thought leaders, they're just talking about the things that they struggle with the most. And being versus doing is probably the biggest, most difficult internal struggle that I have. I am a doer. I just get down to getting things done and planning things and time management. And I set huge, audaciously stupid goals, of which we'll probably talk about at least one of them throughout this program. But I realized that I was missing so much of the being that I was so focused on doing that a recurring theme of my entire adult life has been burnout. So an area where I specialize is working specifically with creative professionals that are very ambitious, very driven, very much doers, but that are also managing burnout and other mental health issues. And I've learned that the best way to, not necessarily the best, but one of the best uh, techniques to integrate, to reduce, not eliminate, because it's very difficult to eliminate burnout from your life completely when you're very ambitious and type A, mm -hmm. but to drastically reduce it is not about getting the next app or optimizing your calendar. It's about focusing on the importance of being. So I'm, I'm, so I'm not coming at this thing. I have figured it out. I have not cracked the code, but it is my lifelong struggle to continue progressing towards finding the answer and the balance, so to speak, between being and doing. Um, but being to me is something that I really, really struggle with. So I surround myself with people that are better at it than I am so they can constantly hold me in check. I specifically have one team member who's actually my podcast producer that you talked to briefly, Debbie. Mm -hmm. She's the beer on my team. Gotcha. I'm the doer, she's the beer, and we're kind of constantly, you know, very in a friendly way, challenging each other to improve the sides where we're weaker. Um, but it, it's if it's just about doing, you don't ever have the opportunity to be, which means that you never get to actually reap the rewards of what you've accomplished. So I know that you're somebody that's really big into the idea of a review. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I talk about all the time, both from just a practical level. Here's how to do a review. Here's how often. Here are some of the questions to ask, right? But a big part of it that I emphasize is the emotional component, which is the being part, which is not what do I do next? It's how can I just be present and accept and have gratitude for the things that I have accomplished, which again, I struggle with. But that to me is one of the differences between being and doing is I can look back and just be here and say, this is where I am and this is awesome and I'm proud of it. All right, what comes next tomorrow morning at 1137 a.m.? So this lends itself to the other thing that you've got among the multitude of things. I mean, obviously, as we're talking right now, and I know people can't see this because it's not being broadcast video-wise, but I see that the dad 
behind you, and I'm we're both big into fatherhood, but and we'll get there. But what I want to talk about is the award-winning Hollywood film and television editor uh, that you've still got going on uh, with with Cobra Kai, which I've watched with my kids. And again, having grown up in the, I mean, I was ten years old, I think, when the Karate Kid came out. So I I definitely am part of that that lexicon. It's definitely you know been ingrained in me. Um, I wonder how much of what you do now in terms of, you know, optimizing and, and working with people, to me, it would seem that you probably observed some of the things that needed to be not only worked on, but that you could steal or borrow from the industry you're in that helps you with this. So, I mean, I know that, for example, having done comedy and stuff, the potential for burnout is high for creatives because it, you can't just shut it off. Like you can't shut off the creative switch no matter how. In fact, when you try to, that I think in and of itself can be a huge problem. You've got to find a way to kind of channel it maybe. But I also know having worked on film sets before in very minor capacities that there is this ebb and flow of creativity and then chaos, right? And and achievement and um, – uh, let's say um, uh, speed for lack of a better term. Like we have to get this done in this period of time, we're losing daylight, like all that stuff that goes with it, but balancing it with, well, sorry, we lost, it's too late. We, we, we can't get this. And then that compounds. So what lessons have you taken away from that part of your life that you say, Oh, this is something that is bad that we definitely shouldn't do. And maybe you're affecting it in the industry you're in, but also, these are the things that I've learned that will work beyond the industry with, with people in a whole different walks of life. Um, I'm probably going to give you an answer that you might not be expecting, but if there's, uh, if I had to choose just one lesson mm -hmm. that I've learned from working in Hollywood and the film and television industry now for over two decades, it's that if you want to consistently be creative and productive, you have to be able to set boundaries. Because if there's anything that I've learned from Hollywood, it's how easily people exploit other creative people. Right. There's this concept that you may have heard of. It's called the passion tax. It's something that was coined by Adam Grant, who's one of, if not my number one author, spirit, animal, thought leader, like Adam Grant is like my hero. I aspire to be Adam Grant when I grow up someday. I've even got the haircut working for me. <laughs> uh, but the point is he talks about this idea of the passion tax. And when you are somebody that does creative work for a living, others will exploit that because they know that you love what you do. And I have never seen more in any other industry than Hollywood where people will exploit creativity in this idea that's, well, hey, you really want to be in the industry. You want to be an actor. You want to be a writer, a director. You want to be an editor, right? So we want you to work for us for free, but it's great exposure. There's this joke about exposure bucks, right? Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to get exposure bucks, and we say in return, well, exposure bucks don't pay the rent. Mm -hmm. But this exploitation constantly leads to people being burned out. So as far as optimization techniques or things that I've learned that I've taken from Hollywood and absorbed into my uh, my world of optimize yourself, I've taken next to nothing except for what not to do. Okay. Because what Hollywood... Oh, go ahead. No, 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 no. Because this is good. So if you've displayed setting and respecting your own boundaries, because that's the key too. You can set them all you mm -hmm. want, but if you don't respect them, no one else will. So there's going to be somebody listening to this that's like, that's fine for Zach, but... I'm afraid. 
I'm afraid to do it because it's the fear that keeps us from doing it. And by the way, boundaries aren't just like saying no to other people. It's saying no to things that, I mean, we were talking about this just before we hit record. Uh, you know, by the time this episode goes live, I'll have done a couple of keynote talks. And I said to you, I'm like, I got to get in shape. Uh, I've got to lose some of this uh, COVID-19 weight, for lack of a better term. And that's going to mean setting boundaries so that I can do that. So it's not just about, and, and routine is one of those boundaries. So my, my question is, for, to, to kind of piggyback off that is for the person that's listening to this, that's saying, yeah, that's fine, but I'm scared. What mm -hmm. do I do? Because I don't want to lose my job, lose opportunities. Like, cause that's all the story that's playing through their head in the, in the words of John Acuff with his book soundtracks. What do you, what did you do? Like given it, can you give a concrete example and, and what the outcome was that maybe turned out differently than like you kind of took a chance for lack of a better yeah. term. I mean, I could, I could, we could easily talk about just this one topic alone for like three <laughs> hours. So I'll do my best to condense sure. it. Um, but I think that the, the first thing that I've learned through years and years of coaching creatives that are horrible at setting boundaries and have been exploited their entire careers is that the first reason that they can't set boundaries, and I will get to the point in a second of addressing the fear, this is all sure. part of it, is that they're not clear on their goals. You can't set a boundary until you actually know what you want out of life, out of your career, out of family, out of your health, right? So if you say, oh, I just, I want to get in shape and I want to lose the COVID-19, well, that's great, right? Mm -hmm. But until you have a very, very clear goal where you can actually set the goal and build systems around the goal, you don't know how to set boundaries around it, right? Because you don't have priorities. Yeah. So the first thing is that you have to be able to clearly define what is the goal so that I can then build not only boundaries, but guardrails around it. This is a concept that I don't know if you've, uh, you're familiar with Anne Helen Peterson, mm -hmm. um, but in her recent book, Out of Office, she wrote about this idea that, yeah, there are boundaries, but sometimes we just need guardrails where if you're going to go around the, the corner of a cliff on 100 miles an hour, that steel guardrail is enough that you're not going to go over the edge. Right. So you have to have both those boundaries and guardrails, but you need a destination first. Once you have a destination, it doesn't mean the fear goes away. It means the fear lessens because anytime you say yes to anything, you have to say no to something else. And once you clearly understand what is it that I'm saying no to, and what are the results of saying no to myself and my goal of losing some of this weight? Not just, well, it would have been great to lose the COVID-19 and be 19 pounds lighter before I do these keynotes. What is that going to mean about your energy during your presentation? What is that going to mean about how you show up as a parent to your kids over the next few months? Then you set the boundary and you're like, man, I... There's this other opportunity or these. The, there's a whole group that wants me to do a speech for them and I really like to do it, but it means I'm going to have to cancel all the workouts that I had for the month. Once you really see what you're saying no to, whether it's you, whether it's your son, whether it's your family, whether it's the quality and result of the presentations you've already set up, it's not a matter of you eliminate the fear, but the fear goes down because your confidence goes up that you're making the right choice. Right. Right. Ever caught yourself marveling at the seamless magic of everyday tech, like how noise-canceling headphones block out the world or the sheer bliss of meeting-free Fridays? Now imagine if there was a way to bring that kind of magic into selling online. Well, guess what? There is, and it's called Shopify. From the moment you decide to launch your online shop to opening your first physical store, and even when you're pinching yourself because, yes, you just hit a million orders, Shopify is there to guide your growth. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or the latest productivity tools, Shopify supports you everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. 
The checkout, oh, it's a breeze for your customers, converting up to 36% better than other platforms. And with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant, you're selling more with way less effort. And you won't be alone in your Shopify journey because Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., supporting giants like Allbirds and Brooklyn and millions of entrepreneurs across 175 countries. Their award-winning support is always there, making sure businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. And yours can be one of those businesses. And for those looking to level up, Shopify's endless integrations and third-party apps from on-demand printing to chatbots ensure your business is always ahead of the curve. So what are you waiting for? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash timecrafting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash timecrafting. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating? Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. Developed through decades of research at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute, Prolon is not just another diet, it's a scientifically backed program designed to support your body's natural processes. Now keep in mind, this isn't about cutting out food, it's about providing your body with the right nutrients to enter a fasting state while still eating. The program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all carefully designed to support healthy blood sugar levels, cardiovascular health, and even reduce abdominal fat. And the convenience? Well, it's unmatched. Everything you need comes in one box delivered right to your doorstep. Thousands of doctors now recommend Prolon for its health benefits, backed by Nobel Prize winning science. So if you're looking for a way to kickstart your health journey with all the benefits of fasting and none of the hunger, Prolon is the answer. And right now, Prolon is offering a Productive Conversation listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash timecrafting for this special offer. Again, that's prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. Check it out today. Ever found yourself deep in a project, your flow state so intense that the world around you just fades away? That's the magic zone where ideas take flight and your work truly comes to life. But what if, in a blink, it could all disappear? Hard drives fail, coffee spills, and yes, even the dreaded accidental delete happens. But fear not, because Crash Plan has your back. Don't wait for disaster to strike. Head over to crashplan.com slash timecrafting now for a free trial and secure your creations with their limited time buy one, get one offers. Supporting our sponsors means supporting this podcast. So take a moment to check them out. CrashPlan is the superhero of cloud-based data protection, specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations. CrashPlan ensures that every file, every idea, and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected. With CrashPlan Professional, you get unlimited backup for your computers, not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a 
dive during a late night work session. With Crash Plan, it's not a disaster, it's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. So go to CrashPlan.com timecrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy one, get one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's CrashPlan.com timecrafting. Back up better with CrashPlan. Okay, so uh, I'm going to sidebar a bit because there's a story that I uh, that I, I remember reading somewhere about a writer, a writer who works from home and his partner who did not. And they'd go to work every day and they'd come back and they'd see the writer staring at the window every Monday, every Friday. They'd come home every day. And the frustration was building up in the person that was coming home. They're working all day. They come home. They see the writer looking at the window. And then finally one day... Uh, the the partner says, hey, listen, I go to work all day long. I come home and I see you staring out this window. What are you doing? And the person says, I'm writing. So, and, and you and I both know what that means as a creative, mm-hmm. right? Like, but it's so challenging and even hard sometimes for a create person who lives and breathes and earns a living for the, like doing creative work to justify is not the right word necessarily, but it's the word I'm going to use to the person who doesn't do that there. And they don't, there's a lack of understanding and comprehension. So this does directly correlate to with boundaries because there have been moments and I'll use myself as an example where I'm like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do this thing right now because optically it doesn't look like I'm actually doing anything when I actually am. You talked about this, I think a bit when we were on, um, when we, when I was on your show about the idea that you went for a walk when you were working through a problem and people what? were like, I got what I you? stepped away from my desk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or, or, and I, this happened when I worked at the Victoria film festival where I was one of the, you know, when I started working there as the operations coordinator, um, I would step away from my desk and eat lunch at the lunch table. And everyone's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm eating lunch. And they're like, just, why don't you just eat at your desk? I'm like, because I'm eating lunch. Like I don't eat lunch at my desk. Like that's a boundary. So for the person that's sitting, the creative, either the one that is, you know, the ones that are making a living at it probably don't face this problem if they're earning enough money at it nearly as much or maybe they do oh trust me they face it just as much <laughs> and even more but that could be another conversation fair, fair. so continue well, no, so let's let's talk about that so like the person that's that that knows that they are actually doing the work when it may not appear like they are how do you how do you how do you how do you deal with that with a person that may not necessarily understand that because that can that can affect a boundary that can affect all that that has a, a domino effect for sure Mm-hmm, absolutely. So I'm going to essentially get back to the answer to this, but I want to frame it a little bit more first. Mm-hmm. I always want to understand why is this a problem? Right. Not just how can we solve it, but why is it a problem? And it's from literally decades, if not over a century of conditioning, mm-hmm. where we have been taught that the the value that we bring is in minutes and hours and days. We punch a time clock, 
we're supposed to be working from this time to this time, which means that if we're not actively punching the keyboard or doing whatever the work is, like you said, optically, it doesn't look like we're working. Well, then we're stealing. There are literally entire concepts in the corporate business world about time theft yep. and how people are stealing time by being on Facebook or answering personal emails or whatever it might be. And 50, 70, 100 years ago, if you were part of the industrial revolution and you were on an assembly line and you were moving a widget from point A to B to C to D to E, you had to be there for every minute and you were essentially an extension of the workstation. But when you do creative work, it doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. So in my mind, the way that we can change this, and this is going to be a slow moving mindset shift because everybody thinks, oh, well, this is a, a broken system or a flaw in the system. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is a feature of the system. It's designed to condition us to feel guilty for stepping away. It's not a mistake that the industry needs to fix or that society or culture needs to fix. It was designed this way for a reason. So we feel like, oh, I don't know. Can I eat away from my desk? I'm not sure. I don't want to look like I'm lazy or I'm not being productive. So I need to be at my desk. And what we need to reframe is the fact that the value we bring as creatives is in results, not in time. Right. Right. So you don't pay me for the hours that I work as an editor. You pay me for the value that I bring. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, th this is maybe not too much of a tangent, but a little bit of a tangent. I'm going to get on one of my many soapboxes. I actually sure. built an addition to my house to hold all of my soapboxes. <laughs> I have a lot of them. But there's this I'm concept. I'm surprised they're not Apple boxes, but. Keep going. I literally, I do have an Apple box right under me. That's a more of a fiscal conversation about workplace ergonomics. Um, but I have many soapboxes or Apple boxes, so to speak. And that's a really good joke. I might use that in the future. Um, but there's this concept in our industry that's called the most favored nation. Something that outside of the industry, many people might not be aware of. But if I'm on a TV series being hired as an editor, I'm going to share a wall on both sides with other editors. And I've been told multiple times by producers and studio executives, we honor the most favored nation rule, which means that all three of you are going to get paid the same thing because you're doing the same job for the same number of hours. And that to me is a deal breaker because mm -hmm. just because I'm sitting at a similar workstation in the same office working a similar number of hours doesn't mean that I'm providing the same amount of value as everybody else because I make creative choices. My creative choices and my observations and my tastes those are the things that make the show what, what they are, right? So the a musical choice that I might make for an episode of Cobra Kai is different than somebody else's and it might have a different emotional impact. Yeah. When I was working on the TV show Empire about five, six years ago, I was sharing two walls just like this in this exact same situation where I was working about eight or nine hours a day and the other guys were working 12 to 16 hours a day and sleeping on their couches. The fact that they're working longer doesn't mean that they should either be getting paid the same or getting paid more. I was providing the same level of value in much less time, which means that I had more longevity over the course of the entire season. So it comes back to this idea of if you are facing this fear of how do I set the boundary about just walking away from my desk, I would suggest two things. One, you need to set clear expectations as a creative. I'm here to solve your problems. I'm here to provide my creative choices and you want a result for me. If I can get you the result in 37 hours rather than 42 hours, does that matter? And if it does, well, then there's probably a cultural issue where it's a lot more about control than it is about the results of the work. Right. 
And if you find that based on either the reaction to this or the relationships or just the culture of your office or your team, that it is absolutely and totally unacceptable to ever step away from your desk, well, then you, my friend, need to find another job. So what I love about this is we're getting into the heart of the kind of thing that that we are kindred about, which is objectivity and subjectivity are so critical. And it's so – so when we talk about time – in a linear fashion, you're paid by the hour. That's very objective. It's math. You could calculate it, but that's quantitative. Subjectivity is qualitative. It actually came up during your conversation with Ralph Macchio, which is the what I wanted to get to. Um, first off, holy grail interview for you, right? Like, I mean, that was that was something. I that, wasn't joking when I said that was 38 years in the making. Yeah, yes, I've yeah. been preparing for that one since I was about five. Yeah, it 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 was. Uh, it was fascinating to listen to the conversation. I did buy, uh, sorry, I borrowed the book from the library. I don't think I could buy it uh, yet, but I borrowed it. I'm on a, I'm on a book purchasing moratorium right now mm. uh, due to my, because my, I have a lot of Sundoku going around, which is a bunch of books that are unread, mm-hmm. although there's value in that. Um, there's a whole other uh, story around that. But what I found interesting was during that conversation, you know, Ralph brought up that, hey, you know, like you, there's choices that you have to make that are challenging and hard because you're seeing dailies and you're seeing this. And then I think was, wasn't there a, a bit where you got the wrong thing at one point in time or you you were, it was, it was fascinating to listen to because, but that's all subjective work and it's hard. That, that is so challenging to measure and to get back to the idea of optimization. It optimization to me is the balance between qualitative and quantitative that we strive for it's ongoing that's why it's balance balance is never you know static there's a dynamic element to it but it's to me optimization is the infusion of qualitative to allow for it to be measured in some form quantitatively would you agree Yes, I would agree. And I think that uh, what the first thing that I thought of that this brought up, uh, and this is something that you and I talked about in our, uh, you know, our kindred interview where you were on my show, is this idea that what productivity has become, in my opinion, is largely a cult, mm-hmm. where it is all about the quantitative. It is all about, I need to get more things done. And then when I get more things done in less time, and I work smarter, not harder, well, then let's just fill all that extra newfound space that we've created with doing more stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And for me, I don't want to become productive so I can work the same number of hours or more, or get more things done. I want to improve the quality of the very, very limited time that I have on earth. Right. Right. And I'm a recovering workaholic. I will never be recovered. I will always be recovering. So my default setting is what can I do next? Going back to this idea of doing versus being. It's always what do I have to do next? And I've had to learn how to reduce that uh, that feeling and that addiction. Because if I were to take all the productivity techniques and the Trello and the calendars and everything, like I could easily be the most efficient with my time 24 seven, but that's not effective. Right. And for me, there's a huge difference between efficiency and effectiveness. And when it comes to the qualitative versus the quantitative, I can be very quantitative with a calendar. Like the way that I approach productivity is the same way that uh, somebody that's in the financial world approaches budgets. Right. Time to me is numbers. And I literally, have a budget for every uh, hour of the day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for here's the ideal week that would be perfect for me that shows that I'm using my time in a quality manner 
quantitatively, right? Right. I never actually achieve that ideal calendar that I have, but it is quantitative and that I can, if you were to say how many hours per week do you budget towards deep work? Do you budget towards prepping for a podcast? Do you budget towards email? Boom. Here's a screenshot of my ideal calendar. You can do the math. Anybody can do it. But what's most important is that the quantity of those hours lead to a quality of my life where I am more balanced, I am more fulfilled. Like there has to be a qualitative result. Otherwise, what is the point? Right, right. Um, but as we get close to wrapping up here, um, and I mean, I know we could talk for a lot longer, but I want to be respectful of your time and the listener's time. You introduce yourself on your podcast as a cross between Tim Ferriss and Ted Lasso. Minus the mustache. Minus the mustache. Um, and I... I've been noodling on that a bit because they are what I, what I find fascinating is it goes back to quantitative and qualitative to a degree. I think Tim, Tim for the longest time, I know he's shifted gears a bit was, there was a lot of quantitative stuff around there a lot um, because it's measurable. I mean, heck the book, the four hour work week, the four hour body, you know, um, whereas the character of Ted Lasso to me has always been qualitative very much. So, um, there's that scene, which I, I don't know, I'm trying to remember what episode, but when Jamie Tart was quote injured and wasn't mm -hmm. going to do training and the exchange between him and Ted after Jamie dismisses him and goes, it's only training. Like he's very dismissive. And, and you could tell that the care Ted Lasso was, was, he wanted to say very directly what was pissing him off, but he didn't have to because of the nuance in what he was saying. The message was pretty clear. And I'm like, it's such a wonderful, um, and he, and you underestimate him consistently over and over and over again. So my, my, my question is, do you think if you were going to take the, the formula of you and of, of Tim Ferriss and Ted Lasso minus the obvious physical stuff that you talked about, What's the mixture? What do you think the mixture mm. is? Man, such a good question. This is so far beyond like, what are your favorite Trello custom fields? <laughs> oh God, I hate that stuff. This is so much more important to talk about and I love it. Um, so what, yes, I love your observation about one being quantitative and one being qualitative. I want to throw another layer onto this that I think either you already know or could kind of help you expand this, uh, this thought even further. Mm -hmm. One of those is synonymous with logic and one of those is synonymous with emotion. Yeah. We're both logical beings and emotional beings, mm -hmm. right? The quantitative is very much the logical analytical side. Yep. The qualitative is much more the emotional side. Mm -hmm. And I have equal parts of both, which my brain is doing this all the time because I'm very analytical, very logical, but I'm also highly emotional, highly sensitive, and highly empathetic. Mm -hmm. Most people are dominant in one or the other. I'm dominant in both, and they fight 24-7. Sure. So the reason that I bring up this idea of Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso is because I think I'm a fairly unique combination of both. When it comes to Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss is a huge influence on the work that I've done, you know, reading his books, listening to his podcast. I even remember like the, the Tim Ferriss story that I have so far, and I'm hoping to replace it with a better one. But I actually saw him in person just having lunch at some local Santa Monica cafe, and I broke out in sweats. Wow. And I literally, and it was very, it was almost empty. So I knew that I could just go up to him. I was so nervous. Like, this is how much he means to me. I was so nervous. I broke out in a sweat, went into the bathroom and I looked at the mirror and like, 
you can talk to Tim Ferriss. You can talk to Tim Ferriss. Like, so I'm, I'm saying all of that to frame the following. Sure. I don't think that Tim Ferriss is inspiring. Okay. I think Tim Ferriss is brilliant and I think he does amazing work, but I don't think that people look at what he's doing and say, Tim Ferriss inspired me. They say, Tim Ferriss has taught me so many amazing things. But emotionally, at least for me, the inspirational factor is not what makes me admire him so much. It's what he's accomplished. It's how he does it. But I don't have that emotional feeling of being inspired by him. Whereas Ted Lasso oozes inspiration, mm-hmm. right? Like Ted Lasso is not going to give me all the, the quantitative optimizations and do this with your training or do that with your training. But what Ted Lasso does, and it's literally the icon of the show, is allow people to believe in themselves. Yep. And I believe that I'm in a, u- a unique combination of both where I'm very obsessed with the Tim Ferriss style optimizations and the, the quantification. And that's something that I've had to try and curb because I have a very uh, easy tendency to kind of go on the OCD side to follow all that. And that goes back to doing versus being again, where I'm like, I don't need to quantify everything and I can slow that down. Um, But when it comes to the Ted Lasso side, I really believe that the work that I do and the choices that I make, whether it's what I'm doing with Ninja Warrior or Cobra Kai or with Optimize Yourself, I have to be the person that's doing it first to inspire others to believe that they can do it too. It's, you know, you bring up logic and emotion. I bring this up a lot. We've actually touched on this, I think, before, um, maybe in our conversation, but definitely in the work I do is that you want to strive for reason. Mm. Reason is the balance between qualitative, between logic and emotion, um, you know, because we can apply reason as humans, right? Like we have that capability to reason and you're never going to get perfect reason. You're never going to get perfectly balanced, like you said. But and every it's it'll be situational, right? But to me, that's that's key, and that's why, like, to I agree with you wholeheartedly about you know. And you could insert another figure. You could insert Gary Vaynerchuk in the Tim Ferriss equation. You can insert any of those people that have kind of like really you know worked hard or worked smart or a combination thereof to you know kind of make their way through life in a way that, that works for them. Right. And you know, what, what's the, the easy, what is it? Easy choices, hard life, hard life, easy choices, right. Or something like mm-hmm. or hard, uh, hard choices, easy life. Um, whereas the Ted Lasso equation, and there's others that fall into that as well. Um, you know, that you just, the idea of be a goldfish, you know, the idea of, um, the, the Walt Whitman dartboard scene, all that stuff. And what I, what I find, that I think is also fascinating is your work on like say Cobra Kai or, you know, and, and the multitude of things you do, which means you can't really be pigeonholed into like, well, this is what Zach does. And this is what, but Cobra Kai is a good example of like when Cobra Kai first came out. And by the way, anyone who has been following it, it was not on Netflix originally. It was on, what was on, um, what was the YouTube crackle, wasn't it? Like it was was YouTube red, YouTube red. Right. Um, and the thing is, is you went in with, the idea, especially as somebody who watched it early on, that, uh, you know, Daniel LaRusso was the good guy and Johnny Lawrence was the bad guy. And it was black and white. And what this show has done, and this is not just, by the way, not just a written way, but editing. All that stuff has massaged the show into, like, no one is purely black and white. There's no pure good or pure evil. That story has been told in Star Wars and other things as well. But what I like about that is it's grounded. So when you're making those subjective choices in the editing room, 
when you're approaching your 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 yourself as as like I want to be you know the American Ninja Warrior stuff, when you're approaching it to being like I'm a business person, but I'm a father, I'm a husband. How much of that goes through your head of like uh, the story I want to tell is not um, black and white; it's shades of gray, and I need to do it in ways that are both subtle, like the whole Ted Lasso story I shared earlier, but also pretty overt. Like, how do you, how have you done that? And then how do you help others kind of in that vein as well? Because that's part of this optimization process as well, right? Yeah, I mean, a, a big part of it, and this is probably the most common question, like general question that I've been asked over the years, not just by podcasters, but more often by people just generally in the field or whatever. So like, how do you do it all? Like, how, how is it possible to to work on a TV show like Cobra Kai and run a business and be a coach and be a dad and train for American Ninja Warrior and X and Y and Z, right? Um, and w- what I first say is that I don't do it all at once, mm. right? I, I, I do believe that you can do it all, but you can't do it all at once. And something that you and I talked about, I think, during our conversation uh, is the aversion that I have to the term work-life balance. Yeah. I actually had the same conversation with Laura Vanderkam. Yep. Uh, just the the idea that work life balance is not something that we could ever strive for, and frankly, doesn't even make sense anymore because we have such a blur between work and life, right? So when it comes to whether it's Ninja Warrior or it's running and building the Optimize Yourself program and business, because I both have to be a manager and a maker, have to be a business owner and a CEO, but I also have to be a creator, have to be a coach. So even within Optimize Yourself, there's more than one identity or hat. Then it's being a dad, then it's being an editor. There are all these other things. The only outcome that I really want from all of them, and this one's going to be a little bit higher level and more esoteric, Mm -hmm. but if you were to ask any of the people in my life in any of those contexts, all I want them to say is that he was here and he was present while he was doing it. So what I uh, a skill that I'm working towards building and will always be building is what I call strategic presence, which means that if I'm going to have work-life balance, well... I'm working a lot now, which means I have less time with my kids and I'm off balance. One has more, another has less. Oh, I'm going to spend a whole bunch of time with my family, which means I'm not going to edit or work on the business, right? So I'm rebalancing. Yep. But what if the entire time I'm with my kids, I'm actually on my phone or I'm thinking about the next project that I want to get. But as soon as I'm on the project, I'm like, man, I really wish I could just take some time off and be with my kids. I'm not present. Yep. Right. So I've given up the idea of work-life balance and it's more, how can I make sure that everything in my life is essential and I'm strategically present at those things when I need to be, which goes back to the idea of boundaries. I have to set a lot of boundaries and say no to things that are going to disturb what I'm working towards as far as strategically being present. You know what it also does is it comes back to the idea of qualitative and quantitative logic and emotion because strategic mm-hmm. is very logical. Presence is very emotional. Isn't it funny how that works? You and I definitely kindred spirits. <laughs> um, we're gonna, uh, we've are gonna. we had episodes with uh, Laura Vanderkam on. We'll put those in the show notes as well. Zach, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we've gone a little bit over. Um, I know you want to share something with uh, with our listeners today, and I know we want to have more conversations. We can't – we're not going to leave it off at this. So down the line – Yeah, sorry. This gonna, isn't over. No, yeah, no. I'm going to be in your inbox incessantly until you block me. So I'm just going <laughs> to warn you right now. Um, I have no reason to block you. So, um, Zach, where, what, what do you want to share with, uh, the listeners today before you, before you wrap up and where can people keep up with you and the work that you do? 
Yeah. So in general, if they want to find me, the easiest place is just go to my website, optimizeyourself.me. Um, I'm kind of sort of on the socials, but kind of sort of not. Um, I wish that I could be Cal Newport and just not be anywhere and write amazing books and people still know how to find me. Um, but I'm in a place with my business where I try to kind of sort of be on the socials, usually Facebook and Instagram. Um, but the most important thing that I think is the most relevant to our conversation is that very similar to you and your time crafting process, um, I also have an, an entire process process that I go through with laying out my calendar, similar to how I said, I treat it like a financial manager. I want to have the budget and the numbers so I can tell you how much I'm dedicating towards something that is strategically allowing me to be present for the right things at the right time. And what I have is a very simple process that people can go through with their calendars to make sure that their values are showing up on their calendar. Because it's one thing to say, oh yeah, I value my health and fitness. Great, show me your calendar and your last three months credit card statements. So let's see if you really value your health. Mm -hmm. And I want to show people how to take an actual value in their life and extrapolate it to time blocks on their calendar and turn it into a habit. So it's like a 30 minute process, just a few simple steps. I walk you through how to take your values and put them on your calendar so you can actually live the values that you want to. And they can find that at optimizeyourself.me slash product activity is perfect perfect uh zach thanks so much uh, i know this is not over we're gonna have more of these but thanks for having a productive conversation with me today yeah man this is great i really appreciate it thanks so much for having me Big thanks to Zach for joining me on the program this week and having me on his program as well. You can find the link to that episode as well as all the other things we talked about in the show notes, which can be found at productivityist.com slash podcast 467. You can also find those show notes in the podcast app that you may be using right now, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, what have you. And you can subscribe to the podcast really quickly, simply just touch the button. And then that way you can easily search through the archives and also make sure that you don't miss a single episode of what's to come. Another way to support the show is to check out the sponsors that you heard on this episode. So just head to productivityist.com slash podcast sponsors to make that happen. And when you check them out, let them know we sent you. That's it for this episode. Until next time, I'm Mike Vardy, the host of A Productive Conversation, reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive. See you later.